This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Twenty twenty two is nearly upon us, and to usher in the new year. The soccer, soccer fixture gods have concocted a Premier League top four showdown that sees inform Arsenal taking on even more inform Manchester City, while Chelsea and Liverpool duke it out in a Stamford Bridge six pointer. And after a seasonal siesta, La Liga returns to action with two Madrid derbies and another must win game for Xavi's Barcelona. Can they do it? Nobody knows. And sadly, as has become customary these days, COVID remains a major talking point i'm jimmy conrad i'll be bringing in all the new year fixtures alongside heath pierce and jonathan johnson the kegel Lasso weekend preview begins right now all right everybody thank you for tuning in make sure you leave us a comment like the video and subscribe to the channel and hit that notification bell while you're at it so you do not miss any of these amazing episodes and if you're listening on apple podcasts do us a favor and leave K Golasso a rating and review it. It only takes a few seconds and it helps us to continue to make free episodes just like this. All right, first and foremost, Hollywood Heath Pierce, I'm coming to you first. What are your New Year's resolutions for 2022? Oh man, uh, I think I think I got them. I wanted a lot more football in the new year, and because of all these postponements, I'm going to get a lot more football in the new year. Uh, there's plenty of it, but outside of that, you know, just that uh, health and wellness for everybody. It's a crazy time, so that's the uh, that's the thing that's top of mind right now. All right, you should run for mayor. That was a very political answer, uh, I, I, but it's I the reality. That. I don't I don't have a better way to put it. Maybe JJ can say it better, but man, the world the world is uh, like crazy, you know. And on top of COVID, I got a message from a friend in Colorado that. Perhaps she lost her house to a fire yesterday. I mean, everything oh, wow. is absolutely insane. So I'm literally, literally mean this when I say health and wellness for everyone, Jimmy. All right. All right. I appreciate that, Heath. I'll back off. I'll back off. JJ, right. how about you? Any New Year's resolutions for 2022? Well, I'll start off being a little boring and uh, echo Heath's thoughts. You know, I do hope that 2022 brings, uh, you know, plenty of prosperity for everyone and fingers crossed that, you know, we can have fans back in the stadium as soon as possible. You know, we're going to see matches uh, across Europe and well, all over the world really hit by uh, restrictions on the amount of spectators that can attend, uh, you know, in the very short term, but fingers crossed they don't last as long as we've seen uh, in the past. But other than that, I you know. I guess I'd be quite happy to spend a bit more time with you guys, to be honest. Oh, wow. what a sweetheart. Wow. You talk about sweetheart. running for, you talk about a politician. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, Louise. guy just won my heart and my wallet. He is. You know? He is the mayor of my heart right now. Way to go, JJ. <laughs> my, my New Year's resolution is to be as confident and as transparent as Romelu Lukaku was just with now his interview <laughs> with Sky Sports Italia with regard to his situation at Chelsea and how he left Inter Milan. JJ, I'm going to come back to you about this because I find it interesting that they waited to hold this interview for three weeks and then decided to release that. Do you think it's because there was some pressure from the player to not let it go out there before he started scoring goals again for the club? Or uh, Tell me about this, and then we can kind of get into his thoughts uh, with Heath. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, is definitely an interesting possibility. You know, of course, it was uh, you know predicted, it was written in the stars that Lukaku would get back to goal scoring form against Villa. But uh, you know, I think <laughs> as well. <clears throat> Any player of Lukaku's caliber is going to be frustrated, get a bit antsy as soon as he spends a little bit of time out of the team. Um, You know, sort of adding to, I guess, the political context at Chelsea, you will never have a Thomas Tuchel reign in charge of any team where there is not somebody who's rubbed up the wrong way at some point. Quite often it's the hierarchy. Sometimes it's a star player who has their nose put out of place, Uh, you know, but Credit to Lukaku for coming out, uh, you know, and just being honest about it. You know, now when you look back at, at the quotes in full, you can see that, you know, this was perhaps taken sort of the best part of a month ago. But, uh, you know, also at the same time, you know, I think it's refreshing to have a player who's, you know, prepared to wear his heart on his sleeve like that. And, you know, not only to, to, to show how he's sort of feeling when he's sort of in and around the pitch, but, you know, also to be able to be confident enough to go in front of the camera uh, and explain himself uh, as eloquently as uh, Lukaku did. So uh, I can understand where some of that frustration comes from, but I also think that some of it has maybe been blown a little bit out of uh, proportion. Okay, yeah, and Keith, Jimmy, sorry, go yeah, ahead, Jimmy. Okay. No, I was just going to say, speaking from a player's perspective, and when we get asked these questions a lot, you can feel when a journalist would lean in a little bit more, hoping that you'd give him a little bit more insight than the, than the basic cliches. No, everything's great. I'm working hard, whatever. And Lukaku felt incredibly comfortable, or at least it looked like it in this interview, and obviously wanted to express how he was feeling about Inter fans because it seemed like he didn't end the way that he wanted. And maybe in that that moment of vulnerability as he tries to be as heartfelt as he can with Inter, he kind of just, in the same kind of note, he voices frustration with what was happening with Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel in particular, and that it wasn't a system for him, and he doesn't know really where he fits. I'm paraphrasing here, and and he needs to talk to the the gaffer, as it was, to, to get on the same page about how he can be best utilized. It seems like, given what Tuchel said in response, and we'll get to his immediate quotes, but he was a bit surprised that this was out there in the public and Romelu was feeling this way when his attitude of practice demonstrates otherwise. How do you, how, are you, what, what, do you what do you think about these comments from Lukaku? Yeah, I mean, look, like you, I, I think you said it well. It's in a moment of vulnerability. You try to be honest. Jimmy, you and I both, I think the reason we got into media was the fact that most of our career, we tried to give a better answer than a canned response that nothing matters. Try to give, you know, even almost feeding our egos to give more than just the response of, oh, that's, you know, the quarter, the NFL quarterback type of response that you get, which is team first and all this. I think that moment of honesty is, is needed in the game. Obviously, I think contextually timing is everything with these comments. And sometimes you have a casual conversation with somebody and, and you think that it's a, not necessarily a safe space. I'm not saying it was taken out of context or taken in a safe space and it wasn't anymore, but those types of things happen. And I, I actually appreciate that type of honesty. The surprise thought for me, though, is that he's going to continue to be a starter when they need him. And that's what I think is important for all this, is that it doesn't just become even bigger where now he's been benched and now they got to figure out this whole thing. And quite frankly, when I look at this team and I think about the system that they play, I, I look at it and I go, what was missing was Romelu Lukaku to this team. Like, when he stepped in, I didn't see any more problems within this team. Obviously, they're leaking goals and all those types of things in a different way now. But when I looked at the attack and all the rotation last year, whether it was with Lampard or with Tuchel, he was the answer to those problems. And so for him not to have the joy in that, it feels very anti-Chelsea. It feels a little bit more like he was trying to make good on, on, on Inter Milan and those fans. And if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm looking past this. I'm kind of seeing how his approach is. If he's going around the field and he's throwing his hands up in the air and he's all pissed off and he's got a bad attitude, that's something different. But I haven't seen any of that. It, mm-hmm. it, and he just mm-hmm. played a few days ago. And so 
it seems out of context, the moment of vulnerability where he's off the pitch and those types of things. I wouldn't read too much into it, but I do think the timing of it, Tuchel's right in saying that, you know, this just kind of stirs, I don't remember his exact quotes, but it sort of just stirs the pot when it doesn't need to at this time of year. Yeah, he basically said, let's be honest, I don't like it because it brings noise we don't need. It's easy to take lines out of context. Of course, I don't like it and it's noise. So interesting. So let's let's talk about this game in, in particular. Chelsea have taken just nine points from their last 18 available after drawing 1-1 with Brighton on Wednesday. Uh, Danny Welbeck doing what he does. That Dat Welbs, that guy's uh, doing what he does. Tuchel continues to lament uh, Chelsea's injury and COVID problems and things don't really seem like they're clicking in all ways uh, on the field as they were earlier in the season and definitely as compared to last season. They've only managed one clean sheet in their last eight league games. And then Edouard Mendy leaves for AFCON, the Africa Cup of Nations, after this game. Now, Liverpool, though, conversely, were also dealt a pretty big hammer blow in the title race after losing 1-0 to Leicester, even though they had opportunities to win that game or at least muster a draw. They could be 12 points behind Man City by the time they face Chelsea on Sunday, albeit with a game in hand. But uh, that might be too big of a gap to overcome, even at the halfway mark in the season. I don't know. I don't know if I exactly agree with what I'm saying at that particular moment, because City could slip up, especially when they start to focus on the Champions League again back in February. Uh, JJ, what do you what are your thoughts on this game, and, and how do you see it playing out? Well, I think it's kind of an extension of the the discussion that we've already had about Thomas Tuchel, and you know, for me as somebody who's seen him up close, uh, coaching PSG before he went to Chelsea. It doesn't at all surprise me to see Tuchel kind of searching, not necessarily for excuses, but some sort of justification for this blip in form because we know Tuchel is a guy who really doesn't like to lose, doesn't like to drop points at all. Uh, You know, will have come into this season with a very specific idea of what he wanted to achieve with this team and that would have been a sustained title challenge you know with the possibility uh, of of perhaps pipping Manchester City or Liverpool uh, you know to the finish line. Now, yeah, I can understand that he's frustrated about the situation with COVID, with injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, some of this, the, you know, lamenting the situation in the press was ridiculous when you look at that bench and it's worth like a couple of hundred million pounds. Uh, you know, there are other coaches in the league who would be crying out for that sort of, you know, conundrum that, you know, that sort of headache that he finds himself in. Uh, you know, of course, I can, I can I can recognize that for the likes of Chelsea, for the likes of Liverpool, you know, having to try and get through a moment like this in the season when they're already sort of at a disadvantage in the title race uh, compared to Manchester City is is frustrating. But, you know, every team is having to, to, to negotiate this at this moment in time. And it's, you know, an absolute lottery as to which game will be called off next because there seems to be a couple every day uh, at this moment in time. So, you know, I I think in many ways, this whole Lukaku thing, uh, you know, has come about sort of at the right time for Tuchel in many ways because it gives him something else to distract from the fact that his team been a little bit flat on the pitch, uh, especially without Lukaku. I think they're looking a bit better now, uh, you know, but I think, you know, this recent period has exposed you know perhaps a couple of questions that we could ask uh, of the German because you know the honeymoon period for him lasted so long when he came in in January pretty much to the end of the season with the Champions League success that people are only now starting to actually look at this Chelsea side uh, you know and compare them to the likes of Liverpool to the likes of City uh, you know and see that there are still some gaps there. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is obviously, as you mentioned already, Jimmy, one clean sheet in their last eight is uh, a little bit alarming for me with Mendy on his way out. It feels like obviously a most win, must win for both these teams, especially Liverpool, who are going to lose uh, Mane and Salah to, to AFCON for a bit. But when I think about the managers and I think about 
all of this. The only argument that I really understand is switching to five substitutions. There's been an embrace of that around, around Europe. Everyone else is doing it. When I look at the team having to deal with these types of substitutions, it's not so much about uh, the depth because JJ's right. They, they have, they, they have the, the riches of depth. Even when they lose multiple players, it's less than ideal that they don't have their best 11, but they're signing this depth over and over again and spending a lot of money to build and create depth that can go on to win a championship. Now, it's unlucky when your team tests positive. Obviously, this type of uh, Omicron is, is running rampant within teams and much more uh, easy to get, so to speak. But the only thing I see there being an argument is, is, is that five substitutions rule. Obviously, this time of year, it's difficult when you play 26th and 28th. I think that's unrealistic as well. But having a chance to have more substitutions, rotate your squad, even if you've got to go deeper into your bench to be able to manage minutes, I think is really, really important. And I can understand the frustrations there. Having said that, you know, I don't know if these guys, if they were in Man City's uh, shoes and they had a, a almost full roster, if they would be as open to, to, to or, or is, is um, anti uh, this fixture because Man City is getting the most out of their players. They're even having the luxury of suspending uh, Graylish and suspending Foden because they have uh, the depth of the squad right now and they're getting the results that they are. So overall, I think this is a must win more for Liverpool. They need to get these points if they want to stay in the race. I think it's problematic for Chelsea and the fact that they are now getting Lukaku back. They have the distractions. And I do believe, by the way, and, and Jimmy, I want, I, I want your thought on this. When you start to leak this type of stuff into the locker room and you start to talk about fatigue and fixtures and injuries, like how much of that, you know, I, I, I think that, that that weighs on the players. I think that's a heavy weight to bear on the players and the players start to feel more tired and they start to almost mentally psych themselves out when you have somebody that's constantly harping that this is too difficult or we're tired or we're injured, it just seems like everybody knows. It's the year after year after year. This doesn't change. And obviously, you've got COVID on top of that. You've got the three substitutions. But it just seems like once that goes into the locker room, if you're Chelsea who are looking for a better form or looking for improvement, that's not exactly the news that you want. And I know that I know on the flip side that Jurgen Klopp's doing the same thing. But yeah, just want your thoughts on this. Yeah. No, no, no. I think it, it does plant a seed in terms of the mentality of the team. And, and if, you're, if your manager's out there going – Hey, my guys are tired and that's what you're reading and that's everything that you're seeing and, and hearing. And I'm sure he's mentioning that in the locker room. Like, hey, I know we have a lot of fixtures. I know we don't have a lot of subs. You start to kind of buy into that narrative as well. And, and unfortunately, when I look at these teams, you know, Tiago Silva's out, Chilwell's out, Reese James is out. You have three first choice defenders that are out for Chelsea right now. Kai Havertz is probably doubtful for this one. We might see Christian Pulisic as a right wing back to start, which would be mind-blowing never thought we'd ever see that happen. i'm for it him i'm for it let's defense. go i'm for it better than him and, at a nine let's go <laughs> that's that's fair that's fair one, one, then, one thing then, i'll add one thing i'll add on that is if there's a coach who can reconvert an attacking player to play in that wingback position it's tuchel i've seen him do it with musa diaby before at psg and it actually works very convincingly well, I, well, from your from your lips to Christian Pulisic's ears, hopefully that that happens. <laughs> and on Liverpool's side, they got Origi's out, uh, Minamino, Thiago, uh, obviously Harvey Elliott, uh, Andrew, uh, Andy Robertson's going to be out on the last game day of his or last game of his suspension for that red card. So, so they got a bunch of players that are out, and as you mentioned, with most Salah and Sadio Mane out, and and Naby Keita's going to go to the Afcon as well. This is such a must-win, I think, for Liverpool's perspective. Chelsea, I think, can manage Mendy leaving, however you feel about Kepa. But yes, what, what I find interesting about this Tuchel and Klopp, and they both come out and said, the, the fact that five substitutions wasn't around, I, I didn't know they went back to three. That's how unaware I was. I just assumed it was going to be adopted globally at this point because it made a lot of sense, especially during COVID. And, and the fact that they went back to three is quite surprising. So I understand where their gripes are coming from there. But in terms of the congested schedule, they knew where they were walking. It's been the same every single year. Maybe Tuchel's new to it, right? 
because this is his first foray since he joined uh, with Chelsea last January. So he kind of missed out on this. But Klopp's been around, man. I don't know. If, this is They make so much money during this period that they're the only league that's going on and, and have these traditions with Boxing Day and League Cup and all this stuff. That's just part of being a part of the England system. And and to complain about that now, I don't think that's going to change. But I could see their gripes maybe leading to five subs being opened up again. And I hope they consider that. What, are your thoughts on that, JJ? I mean, I think that, you know, there is definitely an argument for that. But also at the same time, you know, having five subs back available is is a massive boost for the clubs who have substitute benches that are worth hundreds of millions. Uh, you know, it works out better for them. For some of the other teams, you know, scraping, scrapping for their lives at the bottom of the table, you know, their best players are already on the pitch week in, week out, whenever they can get them, you know, fit enough to play. So, you know, they're going to be looking to, you know, perhaps some of the the youth teamers, you know, there, there's there's less I mean, not less of an incentive. Uh, you know, there's there's just sort of less reward, uh, you know, for having more substitutes for, for some of those teams. But I do think that, you know, in these circumstances, especially with this sudden outbreak of COVID, which, you know, sort of had they waited a couple of months, you know, the five substitutions rule would still be in place. Uh, you know, I definitely think that it merits at least being brought back you know, sort of temporarily or perhaps provisionally until the end of the season when they can make a proper, fully informed decision about it. All right, and then, JJ, coming right back to you. What's your prediction for this game? Chelsea at home, Stamford Bridge against Liverpool. I'm going to say that Liverpool sneak a one-goal win. Tempted to say 1-0. Wow, okay. How about you, Heath? I'm going 2-1 for Liverpool on this one. They need it more than Chelsea does just to stay in this fight. They're going to lose two of their main attackers for what could be a, a decent stretch. Uh, and who knows what the quarantine expectations are when they come back and all that stuff. So I'm saying 2-1 to Liverpool. Okay, I'm going to go with you on that. Chelsea have lost three of their last five Premier League matches at home to Liverpool. I think that trend is going to continue in some capacity. And if you want Liverpool to win and both teams to score, it's plus 340. I think that's really, really good value. Something to keep in mind. All right, let's move on to another big game in this one. Arsenal versus Manchester City. Now, some news heading into this one. Joel Cancelo apparently is a doubt after he had a home invasion. And some burglars came in. He called them four cowards, which they correctly are. And uh, he tried to defend himself, got a cut over his eye. I think he got punched in the face and that doesn't look good. They stole some jewelry while his family were at home, him and his family, which is scary to think that that could still happen. Uh, The Gunners, though, let's get back to the game a little bit, uh, have lost their last nine Premier League meetings versus Manchester City, including 5-0 earlier in the season at the Etihad, though this is at the Emirates. So JJ, or actually, you know what? I'm going to go to Heath because Heath is our resident Arsenal fan. Heath. Do you feel like Arsenal have any chance in this one because they don't really look uh, very good when they play against the big boys this season? They do great against mid-table teams and teams that are below that, but against the top three, they've really struggled. Yeah, I don't remember who we were talking about the other day in, in, in the weekend recap or the preview that somebody that needed it may have been Aston Villa or somebody like that that needed to start, or West Ham that needed to start taking down the big teams. The same for Arsenal. They really struggle against the big ones, but they're in a great run of form right now. Uh, five straight at home. Four of those are clean sheets. Uh, they're scoring a lot of goals, multiple goals in their last games as well, but they are playing against Manchester City, which is difficult. The only upside that Arsenal have is that they had a week break in between games. They had a canceled game mm-hmm. or a postponed game uh, in the midweek, and so I think that plays a huge role you know, on that theme of being able to have fresher legs and be able to uh, put out uh, a team that, that's more fresh. And again, they're not really struggling in terms of the players that they have. Uh, available versus unavailable. Obviously, Aubameyang's not available until he comes back from AFCON. Even then, we don't know when he's going to be around again. I think the team is okay with that. This is a motivated young squad that seems to be 
um, trusting in Arteta at the moment and obviously missing only Tomoyasu, Suarez, Chambers, and, and Maitland-Niles. So I think they have a chance. If ever they're going to have a chance, it's now. You could see City continuing to rotate their squad. We saw Graylish and Foden come back into the team again. Not sure if either of those guys play, but it shows just the riches that Manchester City have. I do think City end up winning this one because if if you're a Chelsea or a Liverpool fan, you need you're you're all wearing an Arsenal shirt this week and looking for Arsenal to try to slow down City because <laughs> if they get this win and then you offset those points over the weekend, it's a it's a long way to catch up for a, for a City side that even if they do go through the trenches of of, of players out with COVID, it, it's going to be really hard to catch. So while I, I like Arsenal's form and I think that form will continue, I just don't see them really breaking this uh, City side. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the Aubameyang situation, actually, because I feel that there's now fewer dead weights in this Arsenal side, and they're much better off for that. You know, the the performances are following on the pitch. Uh, it's nice that they now have some clarity around that. It looks like it could even, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, shine a light on Lacazette's future, you know, now that he's taking on a sort of talismanic role as far as the being in attack uh, is concerned you know it might also open up the possibility of him staying on prolonging his career with Arsenal by a season or two uh, you know and I think that Arsenal getting rid of some of these poisonous uh, characters is absolutely crucial to them rebuilding to be you know something that can at least compare with the past I mean I don't think that there's much to be gained by being super nostalgic for the you know the very height of the Wenger days, but also at the same time, you know Arsenal as an institution is much much stronger uh, than the sort of behaviour that's being uh, exhibited by the likes of Aubameyang in uh, in, in recent months. Uh, and I think that we're now seeing the, the the benefits of some of those strong decisions made uh, on the pitch because the the performances are much much more convincing. And you see now that this is a squad that's really starting to buy into Arteta's, uh, you know, thinking and uh, an approach. It's a shame that Arsenal will be impacted by the fact that I think Arteta is still going to miss this game after he tested positive uh, for COVID. But I actually fancy them for the draw here. Wow. What? Wow. What am I even, what? What am I even here? I, I know they're a different team, JJ. I understand that Arsenal are a different team than the team that Thank lost you, JJ, five, by the way. Thank you, by the way. You know, but, don't listen but, to Jimmy. <laughs> this is a city team that has to know that they have an incredible opportunity to create a gap at the top of the table due to the faltering of Liverpool and Chelsea in recent fixtures. And so they're going to benefit um, based on that result since they're playing against each other as well. My, if, if we get into the weeds a little bit, Fernandinho who I think is Heath Sage, <laughs> has played 90 minutes twice in three days. And, and Rodri's not healthy yet. And I just don't know if they're going to risk Fernandinho again for another 90 minutes. So I don't expect him to start. And I think that's a place where Arsenal can take advantage of. Odegaard has been fantastic. And I think he can find some space in and around there if Gundogan is going to be the choice that they make, just like they did in the Champions League final. And Chelsea uh, made good use of, of that possibility without Fernandinho or Rod- Rodri in the team. So... Look at that a little bit in terms of, of who starts in this game if you're looking to wager on it. I think City are the heavy favorites here. I mean, I've got this stat, and I know everybody's like, stats, this, stats, that. But uh, Arsenal haven't scored in each of their last four home meetings with City. But that's crazy. But obviously, they've looked pretty good going forward as of late. And I feel like there has been a bit of a fresh fresh air or something's been changed since Aubameyang got reprimanded. He must be late a lot. where Because at some point, as a player... <laughs> As a player, if you see some guy and he's your captain who continues to get a free pass, a free pass, a free pass, it just gets tiring. You're like, man, when is we getting held to a different standard? And this guy has something, uh, you know, he's got this this get out of jail free card all the time. And then finally he gets his wrist slapped. He gets the captaincy. Is that, is that how your teammates anymore. felt about you, Jimmy? 
<laughs> I can't confirm or deny this. <laughs> no. Jimmy, Jimmy was I'm one of those. Jimmy was one of those guys that was always way too early. That made everybody like, if, yeah. you're, if you're on time, you're late, JJ. <laughs> the, te- the, te- the teacher's pet while you were the rock star. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I, I had to finish my cigarette out front before I came inside. You know. <laughs> so so so, and also, Des producer Des correctly states that Pep Guardiola made no subs in the last game, which I find kind of stark contrast to the griping we're hearing from Tuchel and Klopp about not having enough subs. It's almost, it's almost arrogance that he's doing it. It's almost arrogance that he's doing it. <laughs> Obviously, Fernandinho is literally 100 years old, same as me, probably feels the same as me. Um, but but the, the other thing, and, and to go back to JJ's point real quick, and I don't want to harp, harp on it too much, but when he called the draw, I think there's something interesting about Emil Smith-Rowe coming off of the bench when you talk about the bombing situation and you have these young players now where Emil Smith-Rowe has been very, very good coming off the bench, but he's not getting the starts. But he's scoring when he comes off the bench. And to have a player like that, that young, that thinks he should be a starter, that has the confidence to be a starter, but coming off the bench with the confidence to continue to prove himself, I think that's a result of something that happens with Arteta or building the respect with Arteta or not having an Aubameyang around who, when he doesn't get his way, probably gets away with it and throws his hands in the air or storms out of the locker room and causes a scene and starts to get, you know, the whole who's coming with me uh, type of thing. And I think when you remove that toxicity, you're starting to see some of these players even play bit part roles to a, to a, to a, to a high level. Okay. So talk, let's just talk this one part of the conversation. I, I can sense that both of you think Arsenal have a chance. I'm going to lean heavier on man city to win this one. If let's say hypothetically man city win this game and Chelsea and Liverpool draw, which is uh, more than possible. That creates a gap at the top of the table, which if that happens, it would be 10 points over Chelsea, who would be in second. Do you think the league is effectively over at that point? JJ, I'll come to you first on this. Do you think City would give up a 10-point lead halfway through the season? I do think it's effectively game over. I mean, I obviously there is, uh, you know, the the quality in Liverpool and Chelsea's squads to to make up that ground. But the the big question is whether City would drop that many points. And I don't think if it gets into double digits, you know, that City will, uh, you know, concede that much ground. That's why I'm confident that this weekend the results will go the way that I that I've predicted already because I think it will keep the title race just about alive enough for there to realistically be a bit of excitement coming into the new year. And you, Heath, what do you, what do you say? Yeah, if I was Guardiola, I'd be going into a bubble. I'd be like, peace out, families. We're holding this team. We're not getting COVID from anybody. We're going to lock ourselves up. We're going to run away. But even just looking at AFCON and the losses up for, that Chelsea have and Liverpool are going to have, there's going to be another three-point window out there that I think that, that, that Man City are going to be able to, to take away. And obviously, uh, the City will lose a couple of players as well. But for the most part, they're deep enough to be able to look at 11, 14, 15 points. And even if they drop back to six, I still think they can make up that ground somewhere along the way in this next month or so in a conjecture fixture period and, and with teams that are less than full strength with, with COVID and then less than full strength because of AFCON. Yeah, with me, uh, I don't know if it's effectively over. I think maybe there will be some Champions League stuff. But but to JJ's point, Chelsea going through what they're going through right now. And, and I don't know if Thomas Tuchel is a league manager per se. Maybe he's more of a cup guy i don't know i wanted to get into that conversation we can save it for another time we've got plenty i mean the the other the other obvious question is if chelsea lose this weekend is he even going to be the coach much longer okay wow we just took it like three more steps by the way jimmy tuchel's big argument on five subs is the fact that he's having to put more minutes on his players when the rest of europe aren't because they're able to use five subs and rotate their players more than he is. That's another one of his arguments, Jimmy. He's a, he is a cup guy, huh? He is. You're, you're he, does, he, does, he, he does sound like a cup guy in some way. So I don't know if you're he's got it in him. To, he's a cup big, guy. Big cup guy. 
big cup guy. But uh, I do think Man City are going to win this one. I just haven't decided if I think it's with a clean sheet because they are very good defensively or if they're going to give up a goal. I kind of like both teams to score minus 150. I think Arsenal are really in a good run of form. They've got a lot of belief, and I think they think they can get a result in this one. The draw is a big stretch, but I like where JJ's heart is. There's a lot of good value there, plus 390, if I'm not mistaken. But um, a match result in both teams to score, plus 180. If you want the match result in both teams to score with the draw, plus 450. If you want Arsenal to win both teams to score, plus 800. But I'm going to go, I'll lean on the Man City, plus 180. So that's kind of where... I'm going to go with regard to that. Now let's take uh, a step now towards Africa Cup of Nations because it's the last hurrah for some some players. As we already mentioned for Liverpool and Chelsea, apparently there's some issues with Watford, who and the Nigerian FA to keep Emmanuel Dennis, who has been an absolute stud for my fantasy team. Shout out to Emmanuel Dennis and uh, what he's been doing for Watford this season. Now Watford is is allowing uh, William Truce Ekong to leave, but are really trying to hold on to Emmanuel Dennis. And it makes sense to me. He's been their guy that's really been driving things up top and making them a threat offensively. And he's, I guess, wavering as to whether he even wants to go because he doesn't know if he's even going to start. And I find that interesting that you would turn down a chance to play in the Africa Cup of Nations to represent your country, whether you're going to start or not. That, that seems secondary. I mean, when your country calls, you got to show up and play. But I also understand that Watford's paying your bills, and so you got to take that into consideration. Where are you on this, JJ, with regard to Watford and 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 this whole Emmanuel Dennis situation, and and just Africa Cup of Nations in particular? I mean, it's complicated because there's so many sort of uh, different things to factor in here. I mean, first of all, they both be playing for the same nation. Uh, secondly, you've got the Aussie men situation, which suddenly opens up potentially a mm-hmm. spot for Dennis if if Nigeria are able to to prime away from Watford. But also at the same time, if the decision uh, to name uh, Dennis in the squad wasn't communicated, uh, you know, by the, the the sort of deadline to Watford, you know, I also think that Watford do have. Uh, you know, a, a strong case there. And that potentially reflects sort of the uncertainty that's been going on with regards to Aussie men. You know, will he be fit enough because of his cheekbone injury? Now he's tested positive for COVID, COVID again, and he's, he's going to be stuck in Italy until just before the tournament kicks off. Uh, you know, I it wouldn't surprise me to see there be one more late push, you know, perhaps from Dennis himself. Uh, and I've also seen people observing on Twitter uh, you know, about how, you know, this also has the potential to really undermine Watford because if you suddenly got a player who is extremely unhappy and feels that he's been hard done by uh, in being blocked from being part of his uh, his national team uh, during a continental tournament like this, you know, is he going to be as productive uh, for the mm-hmm. remainder of the season? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there and we'll obviously give you more info about the situation as it goes along. We're going to have an AFCON preview in the upcoming weeks, so everybody knows what's what for one of the biggest tournaments in the world that maybe doesn't get the respect and love that it deserves, but we are going to give it that respect and love. So, Heath, I'm going to turn it to you. Which Premier League club do you think will be the worst affected by their losses of players to Africa Cup of Nations? I mean, in terms of volume and impact of the team, I think uh, Crystal Palace have, have, have a long ways to go. Obviously, everybody seems to have a couple of stars, including the big four. Beyond that, if I, if I think about the, the, the state of the team and, and the needs that they have right now, I still think Liverpool are, are the most with Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, and Naby Keita. I think that's a huge loss to the team. I don't think they necessarily have the, oh, they don't have the depth of production needed to keep the team going, knowing that those two are the catalysts for their attack, for their press, for everything that I think uh, they are going to suffer the most. Again, Man City have Riyad Mahrez out and United have a few, but overall, 
I think some of the smaller teams are going to have a big impact as well. But when I think about the title race, maybe that's where my focus is. I think Liverpool have the 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 most to 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 lose with their players stepping away. Yeah, I think Liverpool are the obvious choice, and and uh, I'm curious to see how they're going to manage that, especially with a huge amount of injuries as well. I do want to mention Leicester because they're losing out on Ian Nacho, who was excellent against Man City in particular in recent games, and Wilfred and Didi will both be gone. They've been named to the Nigeria squad. They're also going to lose uh, Nampolis Mendy, who's going to be away with Senegal, and Daniel Amarte, who actually was very good against Liverpool, and, and uh, I thought one of the man of the match uh, he's he's in Ghana's provisional squad. So those could be four big losses to a team that's already a bit decimated as well, and that could really hurt Brendan Rodgers' chance to try to get Leicester back into Europe or at least trying to get into that Champions League spot that they always seem to lose on the last day anyway. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to break down, uh, I don't know, a team you might have heard of before, Manchester United, as they face Wolves. We're going to talk about some other Premier League games of note, get into some of the postponements. There's obviously a lot of those. And then La Liga returns and then of course jj is going to give us all the insight on what's happening in france with some coup de france games it's going to be all popping off do not go anywhere we'll be right back robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary ai to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to your favorite Kegel Lasso podcast of the week. It's the weekend preview. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pierce and Jonathan Johnson. We got some big games to break down outside of the ones we've already discussed. But before we get there, I have to let you know that Sunday we move to week 17 of the NFL on CBS. And the day's slate is highlighted by several games with playoff ramifications, including a huge matchup in Cincinnati when the Kansas City Chiefs battle the Bengals. And as always, we'll get you set for all the action with JB and the guys on the NFL Today crew at noon Eastern Sunday. The NFL is on CBS. All right, now let's talk about another big Premier League game. This one involves Cristiano Ronaldo and the Red Devils. Manchester United at home at Old Trafford versus Wolves. Seventh versus eighth in the title. They had a draw versus Newcastle. We saw that Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes didn't clap the fans. Uh, Gary Neville's out there calling them wine bags or whatever he's calling them. They get a win over Burnley, which was a big one. I thought McTominay in particular played very well with a goal and an assist. Uh, what are we thinking of Rangnick's impact so far, Heath Pierce? And and uh, how do you think this game is going to play out? Because it seems like he's still sticking with the 4-2-2-2. I like the 4-2-2-2 personally, but when I think about the way that they played in their last match, uh, I'm not. Uh, it's not impressive. You know, when I think about the 3-1 win, uh, over Burnley, yeah, the scoreline shows something. But Manchester United still didn't look great for large parts of that. And again, I don't think those those have been personnel issues that we had pre-Ronyuk. But 
or Ragnik. I, I think I think he's going to continue to build on this impact. I think the people again. I, I think about the Lukaku uh, context in the same way that I do this Ronaldo not clapping the fans type of thing, where it's like you clap the fans thirty-seven games of the year, but the thirty-eighth time you get you get uh, clapped back uh, by the media for not doing it in a, in a moment of uh, in a moment of of uh, anger or whatever, and so. I think that's overblown as well. I think he's earned his trust with the fans by bringing them gazillions of dollars over the years for the club uh, that allows them to have better players. And maybe they're not in the best state now. But when I think about this team, uh, I think about Wolves, really, when when I'm thinking about uh, this matchup. Wolves haven't played since, I think it was December 19th or something like that. It's been a few weeks. And, Jimmy, you know what it's like. When you get a break over a period where it's intense, you go, okay, this is nice. But when you haven't played in a while... Uh, you don't know what kind of form you're going to be in, right? You don't know the players you have, the fitness levels that you have. It's really hard to replicate a, a training match at home. And in fact, you don't even want to play necessarily a training match. You play maybe 20, 25 minutes of these inner squad scrimmage type things. And so you don't know what type of team they're, they're going to put out there. I don't expect this to be a very pretty match either. Neither of these teams play exactly beautiful, but uh, it'll be a defensive game with uh, obviously um, Wolves being an extremely defensive team. But uh, overall, you know, uh, I, I, I think that, Man United should be able to win this one, uh, scoring the goals that they did against Burnley, albeit it probably won't be impressive. JJ, I'm not sure what your thoughts are uh, on this matchup. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I just feel pretty underwhelmed so far. I mean, I, I don't know if I was really expecting, uh, you know, Ranić to completely rip up the, the playbook and start again. But also at the same time, I mean, when you look back at United's results since he took over, 1-0 win against Palace, 1-0 against Norwich, 1-1 against Newcastle, 3-1 against Burnley. I mean, they scored as many goals against Burnley as they did in their other three matches. All feels a bit underwhelming to me. I mean, sure, okay, that's two, that's three wins out of four. Uh, but, you know, two of those are by goal, one of them against a very, very poor Norwich side. Uh, and, you know, for, for me, it doesn't feel like, you know, these are sort of the the groundbreaking changes that, that, that we were led to expect would come with Ranić. I don't know if maybe he's hoping to, to sort of bring those into place when, you know, there is some, uh, you know, sort of let up, uh, you know, after the hectic festive period. But also at the same time, uh, you know, I kind of feel like the the, the question, the shadow uh, of, of Ranić's future, whether it, whether or not he has a future beyond this season, is still sort of looming large uh, at Old Trafford at this moment in time. Okay. Now, I want to mention their favorable schedule, and I put favorable there because they're going to play against Aston Villa, just for you, JJ. But uh, <laughs> they got Wolves at home. Three, three easy have, points for us. <laughs> potentially. But, but United, at least in the league, have Wolves at home. They got Villa away, West Ham at home, Burnley away, Southampton at Put home. Put us in the cup Le- as well. Leeds away, that's right. And Watford at home. I mean, these feel like results that they should be able to get quite a bit of points maybe put some pressure I don't know. on, on me, those first four. those first three don't seem that easy you know when i look at villa when i look at west ham when i look at i mean in in theory maybe in the current current context of things but those don't seem like even wolves who are willing to scrap it out they don't score goals but they're not going to give up much still seems like they got to get through those three before they get a nice little 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 run of games jimmy i don't know uh sorry to interrupt you but i, I didn't no, no, seem no. Like that favorable oh, for the next week or so I, I put air quotes around favorable yeah. just to get uh, a rise out of, out of JJ. But but what I think is interesting is that now they're entering into the January transfer window. There's been some talk around Manchester United. Ralph Rangnick says, I have all the players that I need. We're not looking to hmm. to go get a player unless we felt like it was an upgrade, whether we were trying to level up and we feel like we've got everybody that we need. Do you think there's going to be any movement there, JJ? I'll come to you on this with regard to Manchester United and and do you think they need anybody or do you just think it's kind of a reshifting of attitude and tactics? 
Well, I think it depends on who is allowed to leave. I mean, it seems like Martial will go uh, if the right op uh, opportunity comes in. It sounds like Sevilla might lead the chase for him at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. uh, Tuan Zebe potentially leaving Villa on loan and then being loaned back out to Napoli could be interesting. Uh, I don't think it would necessarily be the most helpful move from a Villa point of view, but I think for a player who I believe can develop into being a very good defender, I think he really needs to play wherever he is right now. So I think if that is a move that can potentially go ahead, then it's definitely something that could benefit United beyond this season. But I mean, outside of uh, Martial, there's, I don't really see there being too much uh, activity at this moment in time. It could be uh, a, a question of opportunity. You know, January transfer window is very difficult to predict. You know, nobody knows when somebody's next going to get an injury uh, or a really mm -hmm. long suspension. Uh, you know, and that could potentially bring some interested parties to the table. But for me, I think that the biggest name uh, I expect to see on the move from United will be Martial. And I, I think it's a move that he needs. Uh, and I think the club, uh, you know, also needs to start cutting ties with him as well. I think a fresh start would suit all parties. Yeah, there's a lot to, to talk about with regard to Martial and just his stop-start career at Manchester United. We'll save that for another podcast. Heath, how do you think this game's going to play out? What's your prediction? What's weird is with regard to the January transfer window, I'm looking at Van de Beek also, and I'm looking at Lindelof, who both didn't play with Fernandez out, and it's kind of an alarming thing in terms of their will to leave. Uh, and that leads me to sort of just my prediction. I still think uh, Man United are, are by far the favorites to win this one. I think they'll get a result. I think it'll be an underwhelming one where we'll be asking the same questions uh, at this time next week or in our recap of Ranić's uh, overall impact on the team, the same conversation we've been having about about Ole Gunnar for times where you see they're getting results, but you're never left feeling all that satisfied because it doesn't feel like it's grounded in something revolutionary or groundbreaking or even stable, uh, so to speak. But I'm going to go with Manchester United 2-0 uh, win in this one. 2-0. That's not a lot of respect for Wolves. What about you, JJ? Are you going to give any respect to Wolves? Or is it just going to be... I am. I, I, agree <laughs> with the, I, I agree with the two for United, but I'm going to go 2-1. And I, 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 do I do think it'll be really, really underwhelming, potentially a jammy late penalty, shock horror. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. That leads into my bet because one of my favorite For bets. Ronaldo um, to score. Here he goes. <laughs> Ronaldo to score, Jimmy. Penalty it's, and what? What else? What else are we no, throwing no, no. into this it's bet? Just, it's just Cristiano Ronaldo to score the first or last goal plus 138. The guy either likes to set the tone or be the hero at the end. He's always got a knack for that. So I like Jimmy, him they had, the first or last goal. Jimmy, real quick before you move on, they had the Dubai Sports Awards here the other day, uh, and uh, they had Ronaldo up on the side of the Burj Khalifa congrats, uh, giving him the congrats on all the goals that he scored. So just, just so you know, your bet is not that much of a revolutionary bet thinking that he's going to score. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I, I, I didn't, I didn't check through all of the awards, but did Jorge Mendes get the agent of the century for the second year in a row? Uh, I mean, it's for a century. He wins it for a century. He gets it for the next century. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure he puts on the award show here. So, <laughs> All right. Well, just to talk about some other games, there's been some postponements. I'll start there. Southampton, Newcastle postponed. I'm a little disappointed as a Newcastle supporter because I felt like we actually played well against Man United and now we can't carry on that momentum. But it does allow some of our top players to get healthy. I'm looking at you, Alonso and Maximine. Uh, Leicester versus Norwich has also been postponed. And then there's other games that are still being played, of course. And I'm going to, we'll see them up on the screen. Uh, maybe pick one, each of you guys, and, and uh, any notes that you have on it. Watford versus Tottenham. Crystal Palace versus West Ham. A nice London derby there. Brentford versus Aston Villa. Everton, Brighton. And Leeds versus Burnley. JJ, anything stand out for you? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'll be keeping an eye on what happens uh, for Villa. It'd be nice to be back in action after, uh, you know, missing a, a couple of games recently. Gerard's back as well. Uh, he was doing his press conference earlier today. And I think this is the kind of game that Villa need to win if they're to start bridging the gap with the other contenders in Europe, because Villa are one of those teams who so far under Gerard, we've been very impressive against the teams you kind of expect us to be competitive against. Uh, and then we've just missed out when we've come up against the the big boys. And okay, I think, you know, Chelsea's 3-1 win was, I wouldn't necessarily say flattering, but there were some naive mistakes that, that Villa got punished for. Uh, but it was a closer run game uh, than the scoreline would, ha- would have you believe. Uh, so, you know, I think if Villa were able to get a win away at Brentford, still a difficult place to go, despite the fact that they're still finding their feet in the Premier League. Uh, you know, this is one that I've got earmarked as, three potentially important points if we can get them. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a, a fantastic matchup. Obviously, Brentford, I was looking at it. They, they only lost one in their first nine, and then they've hit this really crazy dip in form uh, and starting to bounce back. But obviously, Villa, um, the, the absentees for, for uh, Brentford could be the difference. They have a number of players, I think 11 players out. Uh, Villa only missing uh, Bailey Mings, and uh, maybe Young is still out for that one. But my, my match for that is... Uh, uh, Palace West Ham. I think it's a great matchup. They're going to lose Edward after this match. He's in peak form right now. They've only lost one uh, game from 10 at home. Um, and, and they need the three points in this one uh, for, for losing a contributor like that. And West Ham obviously crushed Watford, who are trying to keep a hold of Dennis uh, from leaving. Uh, and I can understand why he wants to stay there, knowing that that Premier League money is better than the championship money. Uh, and they've only got two wins away from home um uh, out of eight so far this year so i like the odds for palace in this one but overall i think it'll be a decent matchup and a quality game yeah it should be a great weekend of games in the premier league i'm actually looking to see if spurs can continue their fine form under antonio conte at watford that'll be interesting to see if harry kane in particular who scored three in three straight games can keep that up all right now let's move over to a team or excuse me a team a league that's Took a little bit of a break, a siesta, as we said at the beginning of the show. La Liga is going to return. Very excited about that. Unfortunately, Real Madrid and Barcelona have been hit with some COVID outbreaks. So there's something to take into consideration. However, I want to give a shout out to La Liga because their rules for COVID outbreaks are a little bit more transparent than the Premier League. So when a game or excuse me, when a team has fewer than five first team players available, the game will be postponed. And I think that is very clear. Though I wonder how they define first team players. Maybe that's, that's what I mean. You could have fit, uh, Chelsea has 196 <laughs> first team players. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. I, I'm assuming that's it's the license or like submitted for the season. I would guess, right? Which is there, it's got to be right. a max number. JJ, right. maybe you know this more than more than more than we do. Is there a number specifically with regard to teams? Like, is it how many they submit for the season of players? Is there a max number? I don't know without looking what the rule would be in La Liga, but I know in France that you have the opportunity to register a list, a squad of 30 uh, players. And if you dip below 11 available, uh, you know, you can then have or you can ask for a match to to be postponed. In fact, uh, there's an interesting case going on at the moment where Angers, uh, who were already out of the Coupe de France, have asked in advance that their Ligue 1 clash with Saint-Étienne be postponed because they've got 19 positive cases within those 30 players and multiple staff members positive as well. So I'd imagine that La Liga probably works on a similar uh, setting. But, you know, like you like you guys said, it really depends on the the, the strength of, uh, you know, potentially the academy. Whereas, you know, you know, Barca at this moment in time are looking to bring through so many young players from La Masia, mm. uh, you know, that 
you know, they can potentially, uh, you know, sort of survive, uh, you know, the losing that many sort of first team players, uh, depending on, you know, whether you actually count them or consider them as a, as, as a first team or in terms of the contribution they make. Well, let's talk about the, the, the big three in Spain then, because we'll take uh, Mallorca versus Barcelona going first. Xavi has only nine first team players available. Ushman Dembele, Umtiti, Gabi and Jordi Alba all have to isolate they got a tough test going to take on Mallorca. They're the favorites, the slight favorites in this one to get the result. Ferran Torres, unfortunately, their big new signing, which I still marvel at the fact that they can sign somebody for $60 million when they don't have any money and they just decided to say, hey, you know what? We're going to put a billion-dollar renovation into the Camp new as well. It's crazy. But Ferran Torres can't be registered until January 3rd, meaning he misses out. So that's another player they can't rely on to get the result. How are you feeling about Barcelona in this one, Heath Pierce? Do you, uh, I think they have a chance, obviously. They're the favorites to, to beat Mallorca, but Mallorca pretty good at home. Yeah, I, I still think Barcelona have been kind of hit or miss in terms of Xavi's impact so far. But as JJ mentioned, they're kind of in a building process that I don't think they're as stressed as, as perhaps others are. I still think this one probably gets postponed or, or, or uh, kind of placed on the shelf until, until further notice, considering that there's a number of players. I think, you know, if you go on to who scored and look at the list of Barcelona players that are out, it's it goes all the way down the list and every player that you can think but, of. But I mean, surely Dembele and Umtiti, it's just a state of normality. They're barely ever available. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 crazy. And Longlet, Umtiti, Dani Alves obviously can't play. Coutinho, Sergio Busquets, Sergio Roberto, Pedri, Anzu Fati, Memphis Depay, Martin Bretwaite, obviously Sergio Busquets. Of all times to be suspended, is suspended now when they don't have enough players. If anything, it was, seems like it was all part of a larger coup to get this game delayed. It's just being like, if we just lose this one, lose one more player, we'll be able to have the math to be able to not play in this one. But I still think matching up against Mallorca, any team they put out, whether it's a, a bunch of 15-year-olds at Barcelona, are still going to match up well and should be able to at least kick out a, a draw during this tough time. Yeah, and a draw might be you know, good enough at, at the moment until they can kind of weather the storm and get everybody back. Now let's talk about Real Madrid. They're on top of the table, but they are missing some players as well. JJ, Camavinga's out, Courtois, Valverde, Vinicius, all testing positive. Vinicius, for me, maybe the most improved player that we've seen over the start of the season. He has been tremendous. But this is a Madrid derby, uh, away to Hatafe, never an easy place to go. I've seen the game there before. Uh, difficult confines. The fans are definitely you know, in behind you and, and uh, it's not maybe the luxurious stadiums that Madrid players are used to playing. And do you think Hitafe have any chance? And, and uh, if not, how, how big of a scoreline do you think Madrid's going <laughs> to, going to put up here? I mean, I think Real definitely still have uh, enough to, to, to win this game, assuming that there aren't more positive cases and the game gets postponed. But, uh, you know, I, I'd also argue uh, to your point that Courtois is, is is a fairly big miss as well. I've been impressed with the way that he's reestablished mm-hmm. himself as one of the, the leading goalkeepers on the continent uh, so far this season. I'll obviously be keeping an eye on Real, knowing that PSG are going to come up against them uh, in a month or so's time in the Champions League. But when it comes to Hetafe... I don't think that they're quite as difficult to, to come up against as they were under Bordelas. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, th- I think that Real ultimately still have enough quality, assuming that it's just those, uh, you know, sort of four main names uh, missing out, uh, you know, at this moment in time. Vinicius, obviously, huge, uh, huge miss given the, the the superb season he's having so far. Uh, you know, but I think with or without him, uh, Courtois, uh, you know, that Real will still be able to to get things done. And in any case, I think Ancelotti will still be quite happy with the position that they find themselves in, even if they were, say, held to a draw. 
Yeah, Ancelotti has been fantastic. Maybe my manager of the season so far. He's a player whisperer in so many different ways. I mean, the, the way he's elevated the performances, not only of the individuals, but the collective has been nothing short of impressive. All right, let's talk about the next uh, Madrid team, the one that won La Liga last season that seemed to be stumbling despite having more talent than they've ever had. Atletico Madrid are taking on Rayo Vallecano. So Diego Simeone is apparently out with, with covid so maybe his presence on the sideline will be, I don't know, a welcome change. The fact that they don't have him yelling at him all the time. Coquet's out. Griezmann's out. Hector Herrera's out. Uh, Joao Felix has also tested positive. Unfortunately, he, I think he's been in good form. And maybe because he wants to make a move and get out of there in January. Lots to unpack there. Heath Pierce, how are you feeling about Atleti getting a result and kind of starting off 2022 with a bang? Yeah, Rayo Vallecano have 19 players out, so I'm not worried about Atleti being able to get <laughs> if this one goes on. Uh, it, nine, I mean, 19, it's crazy, uh, the number of players. And again, who knows, come day of, who's who's in or who's out. But um, by the way, I met I, I, JJ, I forgot to go on the, uh, in terms of managers missing, Arteta's out also for the weekend. And that's one that I think is going to have a big impact in that game for the Arsenal match. Anyways, we're not going to go back to that, but I forgot to point that out. It's one of the things that swayed me towards them not being able to get a result. In that one, but yeah, Jimmy. I mean, you're you're the you're the uh, fan of, of of Atletico, but it just seems like regardless of the times that they're going through, Raya kind of are pretty depleted. And when you just put it all on the paper, if this game goes through, it just seems like should be a pretty comfortable win for for Atletico. I mean, it has to be because they are Atletico are currently in the worst run of their season. They've lost four straight games. They they're 17 points behind Real Madrid. I mean, they can't win this game. To your point, when Raya kind of is missing basically over half their team, uh, if not more than half their team, then I would be pretty disappointed that Atleti couldn't get more out of it. It feels like quite an injustice, though, that this game, uh, you know, might go ahead with Rio missing so many players. Because you look at the season that they're having, uh, you know, given their their limited means compared to all the other teams, you know, Mm -hmm. for them to be up there at this moment in in the season is is nothing short of incredible. I know, Iriota, you you were talking, Jimmy, earlier about Ancelotti being your coach of the season. Sort of in terms of the the lesser lights, you know, perhaps people that, uh, you know, somebody that people aren't paying that much attention to just yet. Iriota's done a phenomenal job. You know, he's up there along with Ancelotti and Pellegrini is probably, you know, one of the three best coaches so far in La Liga. So it is a real blow, uh, you know, for him to not have enough uh, firepower to potentially be able to to give Atleti a run here because, you know, Atleti, looking at those players that they're missing, that would be the ideal time, uh, you know, for a team like Rio to actually give themselves a, a shout of European qualification. I mean, I don't expect to see them stay up there in the Champions League places as we see at the moment, uh, you know, until the end of the season. But to see them sort of finishing in the top six, given where they are at this moment in time, is it's not that far-fetched, really. No, I'm glad you brought that up. I should give Rio a lot more credit than than maybe I did with my comments because they currently are in fourth. They're one spot ahead of Atleti. They're ahead of Barcelona. They're ahead of Real Sociedad, who everybody loved. Now, Atleti and Real Sociedad have both lost four straight league games. Barcelona are what Barcelona are this season. So fair play to Rio and to the manager for, for getting the most out of those guys. Plus, they have the best jerseys, man, like the David Bowie kits. I love those. I can't get enough of those. <laughs> so, so... What I find interesting about all the opponents, and this is what I think is makes it tricky about La Liga for everybody that pays attention to it. If Hitafe, if Mallorca, if if Rio can get that first goal, I think it puts a lot of pressure on those other teams to try to dig it out because they struggle at times, I think, to figure that out. Let's say they got Kareem Benzema on their team. That's like mm-hmm. the one saving grace. Vinicius has been excellent too, but he'll be missing this one. So obviously three big games to keep an eye on. And as he said, we'll see if they even get played based on the number of COVID cases. Now, speaking of COVID... Uh, JJ, I'm going to come back to you because I know there's some stuff going on in France with 
with the coup de France and, and who's going to play and who's not? Are they going to allow the games? Are they changing the rules? Uh, enlighten us with what's happening. In France, yeah. So in France at the moment, there's a proposed reduction of the number of people that can be in a stadium to watch a match. Uh, it's dropped down to five thousand at the moment. I think there's been a counter proposal, uh, you know, by the clubs to to say that it should be more percentage uh, of the stadium's capacity as opposed to a fixed sort of five thousand uh, number, especially for those clubs with bigger stadiums who could still, uh, you know, welcome fans and keep them uh, responsibly distanced. Uh, but one of the 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 big risks uh, for in France at the beginning of this new year is, you know, Coupe de France matches being postponed, uh, you know, being able to find ways to rearrange those games, uh, you know, especially for the smaller clubs who borrow a bigger team's stadium uh, in order to get the games played. So the French Football Federation have this rule in place where basically every time you name a squad in the French Cup, you need at least seven players who have played in one of the two previous rounds of the Coupe de France. And because of the numbers of uh, positive COVID cases uh, going up by the day, uh, they're thinking of temporarily lifting that uh, in order to just get these matches played and avoid as many postponements uh, as possible. I already mentioned that ridiculous situation at Angers. That would have been an absolute mess if they hadn't already been dumped out uh, of the Coupe de France by little uh, Lina Montlhéry, who came up against PSG a couple <laughs> of seasons ago. So, uh, no, it's it's looking pretty interesting there. And then staying in France, uh, just enlightening you guys uh, and the listeners about uh, you know what's going on. Uh, you've had two managerial casualties in the last 24 or so hours. Well, Niko Kovac hasn't yet been confirmed as being replaced by Monaco, but the expectation is that when he the, his sacking or his uh, departure from Monaco is confirmed, Philippe Clément of Club Brugge will be announced as his replacement. Uh, and City Football Group owned Trois have also parted ways with Laurent Battles, the, the coach who was linked with Montpellier in the summer. Uh, so they'll be looking for a new manager. Uh, so, you know, interesting times in terms of the managerial merry-go-round in France. Okay, now I'm going to throw this one to Heath, and then JJ, I want to come back to you. But Heath, Jesse Marsh is available. Do you think if there's a spot that opens up in France that he would, one, consider it, and B, do you think that would be a good step for him in his career? Yeah, I feel like Jesse Marsh thrives in scenarios where he sort of comes in as an underdog and the expectations are a little bit lower where the team's maybe not performing well. I don't think, obviously, with Leipzig, he came in at the top, had a chance to build a season. I think he's good at getting that new manager bounce, motivating these players. Mm -hmm. I think he can be a very good people manager as well where players feel welcome. Maybe you start to get the best out of some of the players who are underperforming under the current manager or don't feel like their situation is great at the moment. So I think if the right club opened up where he has the quality and the talent that could respond to that, I think he'd, he'd welcome a job. I don't think he's at the point in his career where he wants to have a, a full summer transfer window where he can build a squad. I think he's better in these scenarios where he's kind of taking the team that he's given and getting the most out of them. Well, All right. On, and then J on that, JJ, yeah, on that, yeah, on that note, it's my understanding that if Leon were to decide to part company with Peter Bus. Uh, at some point in the next couple of weeks and months. It's not been a very easy time for him. There's a lot of turmoil going on at Lyon at the moment. Obviously, expectations sky high, you know, one of the really big established clubs in France. Uh, my understanding is that Marsh would be one of the guys on Lyon's shortlist if they looked to replace Boss mid-season. Uh, I don't believe that there's a decision sort of close to being made on uh, on the Dutchman's future just yet. Juninho Pernambucano uh, stepping away from his role as director of football hasn't helped either. Uh, they got booted out of the Coupe de France a couple of days ago. I don't know if you, you guys saw that. Everyone must have seen the, the violent scenes 
yeah. during their Coupe de France clash with Paris FC. Turns out that both clubs eventually got kicked out of the Coupe de France because of that. So Nice get a bye into the next round. So things not particularly positive at Lyon at this moment in time. So Marsh would be one of a number of names on the shortlist if they do decide to change coach. My reservation for Jesse Marsh, if he was to come to France, is I don't know what his French is like, but I think for him to get his ideas across to the players, obviously communication is is absolutely paramount. And I'm not sure how clear those lines of communication would be, say, at a club like Lyon, uh, you know, where you've got quite a, a cosmopolitan blend of uh, of players. Uh, and French players, French people are just not necessarily the most receptive to someone who doesn't try communicating to them in French. I will say, but, but he, he learned German. I'll give him that. Like, he seemed to really buy into that in Germany. And, you know, there's been a few viral clips, JJ. You probably haven't seen them because you're not on, on as focused as we are on, on the U.S. side. But he learned German. He's able to speak German, kind of put himself into the trenches of, you know, and uh, of embracing that. And I think French people, and maybe you feel differently, would respond to him at least attempting to Im- immerse himself and embed himself. Obviously, then the delivery of that information is another whole, whole other thing uh, in terms of comfort uh, as well. But I do think he's somebody that would enjoy the challenge of having to immerse himself in that culture, although you know, he's not going to come in probably with more than just the kind of a French for dummies and, and, his, and his backpack and, and a willingness to, <laughs> to learn. No, sure. I, I, I take that point. And I do, I do think that there would be a strong case to be made if, if Leon do decide to look for somebody new, because I think they'd need somebody who could realistically look at that squad and feel, well, I, I can do something with this group of players and not feel like they need new additions, you know, more money to be spent because Leon at this moment in time, they've already had a point uh, deduction in the league because of that whole bottle throwing incident with Dimitri Payet. Uh, you know, they, you know, I'm not going to say things can't get much worse for them, but, you know, sort of the only way is up at this moment in time and they need someone who could bring in the positivity that we've seen from uh, from Jesse Marsh, both, uh, you know, with Leipzig and also with uh, with Salzburg as well the last couple of years. I don't know. It sounds like a dumpster fire over there with Leon. I don't know if that's the right spot for Jesse Marsh to jump back in, but if he wants another job opportunity, maybe it's a good one to to kind of resurrect a club that has a lot of potential. Well, guys, thank you so much for being a part of this show. With me, as always, I love doing any of these podcasts with you, but especially the weekend preview. JJ, I'm going to come back to you. Any final thoughts? This is our last episode of 2021. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, there's so much that's gone on this year, uh, you know, so much that we've documented here on Kegolasso. It's just been, uh, you know, an absolute blast to, uh, you know, to have been part of it with you guys. Heath, to have joined the the team on a, a more regular basis, you know, that's it, it's just been really, really enjoyable year. And I'm looking forward to 2022 bringing uh, much more positivity. Okay, and Heath, how about you? I know, as JJ just said, we really took a big step in our relationship here with you on Kego Lasso and doing the U.S. Men's <laughs> National Team Hour. You know, what are your thoughts on 2021 and looking forward to 2022? Yeah, I feel extremely fortunate to be able to 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 do this with you guys on a regular basis. Obviously, I'm 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 a I'm a few hours out from uh, from uh, the fireworks here, so I'm almost and I'm way into the future from you guys. Not so much. Uh, for JJ. But yeah, just that I appreciate everyone. I appreciate everyone that tunes in and watches this. It, it validates everything that we're doing. And I look forward to 2022 because it's a busy year next year. Can't wait for it to start. Honestly, Heath, you should run for office. All right. Thanks for watching <laughs> and or listening. Everybody follow the K Golasso podcast on Twitter at K Golasso pod. Subscribe to the K Golasso page on YouTube and hit that notification bell. That would be very much appreciated. And of course, subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcasts. Happy New Year, everyone. See you on Sunday in 2022 for our live YouTube weekend recap. We'll see you then. Later.
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.